0: Hello one and all and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Seffield, I'm your host and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to the very first 2024 episode of Film Fragments. Happy New Year everyone. Today we're going to be talking about our favorite films directed by Oscar nominee Michael Mann. In honor of his newest film, Ferrari, now playing in theaters everywhere. Today, we're going to be delving into the career of this man who has made films for nearly 40 years. A little over 40 years at this point. Um, He likes to take his time with his work, which I commend. He's primarily known for tackling films in the neo-noir thriller genres, what have you. He's worked with some of the coolest actors in the business. He's collaborated with some of the finest screenwriters in the business. All around, Michael Mann what a visionary i don't love everything he's made but i will say that he has more hits than misses and i'm very excited to delve into his career tonight but i'm very excited to also welcome today's guests so our first guest of 2024 is ethan simi he is the co-host of 24 minutes of A24. he is a senior contributor for agents of fandom and he's also the co-host of the upcoming podcast the movie draft podcast ethan welcome to the show
1: What's up, Brian? I'm just I'm just so stoked to be here, man. Uh, a whole pod dedicated to Michael Mann is just delectable. Just a, a downright treat. So I'm stoked, man. I'm excited to talk.
0: I'm, I'm so excited to have you on. I cannot wait to delve into the career of Michael Mann with you. But before we get into talking about Michael Mann, I would just love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, talk about what you do, what got you yeah. into film, and why you love it so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I mean, by general standards, I'm quite new to film. I really only got into movies within the last probably four or five years. Um, and I don't want to be that guy, but I, I'm going to be that guy for a second because, and I hate that this is my origin story, but this is true and this is honest. This is my real origin story. Two movies got me into into film and they could not be more like wow those movies kinds of a thing um first one is uncut gems like my favorite movie of all time actually um and i remember seeing that in the theater and just being like oh my like i did not know you could make a movie like that and then the second movie uh similar similar situation uh was actually the joker uh i hadn't seen taxi driver i hadn't seen king of comedy i hadn't seen any of these cortex that it was based on uh, and i was really big into comic book movies at the time that was kind of like the only thing that i watched uh so seeing the joker i was just like wow that was like so intelligent and so highbrow and like so many things um obviously you you know, five years later, I'm like, okay, okay, I, I, I get it. Uh, I understand what what Todd Phillips did. Um, but those two movies really kicked me off. I've loved movies ever since then. I actually just graduated with my, um, master's degree in film studies. Uh, and I'm very, very proud of that and excited to see hopefully where that takes me. You mentioned I am a, a senior film uh, contributor for Agents of Fandom, so I'm putting out movie reviews on that site um, whenever I can. And um, yeah, writing about movies, talking about movies. Twenty-four minutes of A twenty-four is my my podcast with my co-host Ben. We talk about A twenty-four flicks. Um, right now, we're actually doing the Oscars, so we're just prepping for the Oscars. You're coming on for a pod. I'm pretty excited. You're g- you're going to be one of our guests uh, for Oscar season. And then we do have a new episode or a new podcast dropping January sixteenth. Uh, so about a week and a half away, called the Movie Draft Podcast. Um, it's it's myself Ben from my other pod, uh, and then Sophie Holsinger from from tiktok and twitter uh famed you know movie uh personality and we just draft movies and um we've recorded our first episode and i'm not gonna spoil anything for how it went but it was fucking awesome and you should check it out when it when it drops it's gonna be a great pod so yeah dude uh movies are sick and michael Mann is fucking awesome so yeah
0: yeah that's so exciting i i've been on your pod a few times and it's been mm-hmm. an absolute blast And to um Befriend you these last few months and everything. And I'm so excited, of course, to come back onto both of these podcasts. I'm very excited to yeah, be man. on these podcasts. It's so much fun. And, you know, you talked about how Michael Mann is awesome. And he is awesome. Yeah. So, transitioning to the topic of Michael Mann, why do you think a lot of people get excited whenever they see Michael Mann's name attached to a project? And what makes you such a fan of Michael Mann?
1: Um, I think... I think Michael Mann has this kind of possesses this really distilled energy that I I think is unique. And I think a lot of people try to replicate it and they don't necessarily um get the same Michael Mann like effect or or kind of the, the essence of what we're doing. And this is like the 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 boiled down reason um but if you follow me on Letterboxd, it's just at my name, Ethan Simmy, you'll see pretty much every Michael Mann film review I give um, consists of me saying something to the effect of Michael Mann just, you know, making movies about dudes trying to do some work. And it's true. A lot of his movies are just about guys trying to get their jobs done. And they either can't or they um, get in the way of themselves or there's outside forces that um, threaten to ruin those, you know, getting those jobs done. And I think that as like a core principle for most of his movies, um, I, I know Ferrari is like his newest one. Just a guy trying to run a company. Um, yeah, sure. He's got a, an illegitimate kid and a, and a mistress and uh, lots of other things on his plate but he's just trying to to hold it all together and get his job done, that's very accessible to a lot of people. And it just makes for um, quite a simple through line that I feel like for most of his films. Um, Of course, he's done the period piece here and there, the biopic here and there. Um, But I think when you think of Michael Mann, you think of that very high-octane, elevated look Deep nuanced character ideals of like what it takes to live, to do what you've got to do. Uh, and that's the reason, the sole reason, I think that I like his movies so much that I, at the end of the day, I can just identify and just be like, man, he was just like, guy was just trying to get his job done, you know? And Michael Mann's really good at capturing that.
0: Yeah, he's a very interesting filmmaker because his films tend to be super stylized. He's a guy that is very focused on the style of his movies, but he also finds a way of balancing that with really compelling substance. And my way of looking at a lot of filmmakers is that if you're able to balance the style and the substance, then you're a good filmmaker in my eyes. Obviously there are some filmmakers that are far superior with focusing on the style over the substance. And that's not everyone's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. I love myself a good film that focuses sometimes on style over substance but I love when there's a nice balance between the two of them. Michael Mann is no stranger to that. And again, the fact that he's been making films for over 40 years, the guy's in his eighties and is still making films. I mean, that really blows my mind. It's really incredible. The amount of work that he's done, not only as a director, but as a producer, a screenwriter, and also an author. I mean, the guy has done a lot of stuff outside of film. He's, tackled some television and then some books as well i really appreciate his range as a filmmaker because you brought up how of course he is primarily known for these thrillers that thrillers and crime dramas that he does but he's done biopics he's done historical epics he's done period pieces he's done it all and it's really incredible that even someone who's only made maybe like eight or nine films i'm trying to look at the amount let's see one two three four five six seven eight Nine, 10, 11. He's made 12 films. 12.
1: Wow, nice. And
0: 12. And I, that's impressive. Over 40 years making 12 films. Love that so much. And I also love, again, how he takes his time. Yeah. I I don't really, sometimes whenever a filmmaker makes one film a year, you could tell that there's not as much effort put into them. And not everything that Michael Mann makes is perfect, just just to get that out of the way. But I, again, think he has more hits than misses and i'm so curious to see where our lists go there's definitely going to be some overlap for sure i will say right off the bat um i feel like people are going to hate me for my list because a certain film is not number one um but we'll have (laughs) we'll have to see what happens
1: I um recently we we had an episode of 24 Minutes of A24 where we had Variety's senior awards editor Clayton Davis on to mm-hmm. kind of give us a preview of the Oscars. We yeah. were talking we were talking off mic before the pod and I was like I'm watching this man movie right now. I'm I'm on next week about a, you know, Michael Mann ranking pod. I'm just trying to blow through a bunch of Michael Mann movies rewatches and checking off things that I haven't seen. And um to to your point, he was like, "Oh, interesting. Like I feel like at least the top three Michael Mann movies are pretty unanimous. And I was like, I, "Like we'll see. I don't know. I feel like they are as well. But now you've thrown me for a loop and I genuinely don't know what to expect. So this is exciting.
0: <laughs> it's very exciting. And I just say without further ado, let's get into the list. So Ethan, what is your number five favorite Michael Mann film of all time?
1: Okay, number five. Um, so here's the thing. I haven't seen everything that Michael Mann has done. But you mentioned Michael Mann being um, stylized and, and very unique in what he is able to do. And I, over this course of, of watching a lot of his films, um, find myself gravitating towards certain ones and and less of others, Um, of of course, because of certain styles of his that I'm, that I'm drawn to. So number five for me is um, a movie that I had not seen before, I don't know, I guess last week, a uh, new one for me, it's, it is Miami Vice, his essentially um, movie telling of of the television show, um, a, a show that I, I'm not familiar with in the slightest. I have no idea what it was about. Um, I have no clue of anything. But Miami Vice is, like I said, it's just two dudes trying to trying to get their jobs done, who get roped into Things that they think are going to make their lives and their jobs better. And they end up not. Um, two incredible leads in Colin Farrell and, and Jamie Foxx. Of course, not the only time um, that Michael Mann works with Jamie Foxx, at least. And I, I really like this movie. I don't know if I love this movie, but I really, really like this movie because when I watched it for the first time, about whatever... Probably ten minutes into this movie, when you're introduced to these two main characters, we cut to, and it, of course it takes place in Miami. We cut to the very first club scene, and it it's just absolutely um, elite what Michael Mann does. The fact that he um, needle drops incredible numb encore, just like total encapsulation of maybe the sickest thing you can hear in a club in miami um and from then on it's just it's just like a vibe check for like two hours you're just like oh these guys are vibing go to havana we have just hot women um gun shootouts um moral questionings i don't know what there isn't to like about miami vice i think it rules
0: So this is not on my list. Uh, It's right outside the top five. I also just watched this for the first time very recently, and I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I agree with you about the opening. The movie literally opening with that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: One of the sickest openings I have seen in a very long time. But also just to, to your point about how they opened up the movie with Numb Encore. How it subtly, subtly transitions into a friggin' re- mi- dance mix of a Nina Simone song.
1: Sick. Yeah.
0: What, what, who comes up with that idea? Michael Mann does, and it's really yeah. extraordinary. And I love both of these lead performances, especially Colin Farrell. I feel like Colin Farrell is given a lot more to do here than Jamie Foxx. Yeah. But they're both great together and separately. Uh, And this is so interesting how right after Jamie Foxx won an Academy Award, I believe this was the second film that he did after his Oscar win. It might have been the first one he shot after winning the Oscar, if I'm not Hmm. mistaken. But um, it's an interesting choice. And in terms of movies based on TV shows, obviously I haven't seen everything either, but this is definitely one of the better adaptations. And I haven't watched the show, so I can't say if it's faithful or not. Although Michael Mann was involved with the television series so oh, interesting okay it's interesting to see him take that series and then adapt it into a feature-length film it's really sick it's it's slick it's fun it's entertained it's so fucking sexy so you
1: know sexy. I,
0: I i was chatting with you a few days ago after watching this and um i mean we all know colin farrell is gorgeous and everything with the long hair and the mustache it's, it's unbelievable but driving god a,
1: driving a speedboat good lord Oh my Good god, the,
0: the speedboat driving, it's just like, it's equivalent of something that you would see in the freaking, like, Mission Impossible movie, it was so it is, badass, yeah. it was so badass, but the sequences with him and Gon Lee, Ooh. oh my god.
1: Wow, them hanging out in Havana is just like, it's its just wild stuff, and I think it's really interesting because that kind of segment of the film, where his character and Gong Lee's character are... Um, are in Havana and like are p- pursuing each other. Obviously very, very sexy, very sensual, um, very much like Michael Mann vibes that have been put into that movie. But I think that dovetails perfectly into what is like the final 10 minutes of the film where um, similarly, like Colin Farrell's character has to make these decisions and say like, okay, th- this you cannot be part of this life. You have to go have a different life. This is my life. I understand that now and coming to terms with these really big life themes um, and the whole process through the entire movie of him working through that in real time. uh, And I think that's what specifically I like most about Michael Mann is that he is able to like put these really nuanced, sexy uh, relationship storylines in the middle of like kind of an action movie um Mm -hmm. and, and and they they work they don't feel out of place at all they feel like they are narrative essential um and yeah colin Farrell with the with the stash and the slick tears just elite
0: i it's it's so good it's very impressive stuff and um yeah those sequences with the two of them god oh, yeah. I, I i needed to like fan myself a lot <laughs> i'm just like this is a little too much for me michael man could we like <laughs> tone it down just a smidge for me please um but yeah that's a very very good pick it, it was very close to making my top five and my number five is probably the least michael man film that michael man has ever directed i'm going with the last of the mohegans from 1992
1: okay
0: uh, this is one that i unfortunately haven't seen in a very long time probably honestly probably a decade it's been a long time since i've watched this but i remember really really digging this i'm a huge historical period piece fan i love historical dramas as much as the next guy and i remember watching this in one of my high school classes and i thought this film was so badass and so epic and plus i mean the parent of michael mann and daniel day lewis you can't go wrong with that parent that's a really dope collaboration actor director parent But even though I haven't seen this in a very long time, I will say that I think the action sequences are very well done and the sound work here is really incredible. It actually won an Academy Award for Best Sound. It's also important to note that this is the only Michael Mann film to have an Academy Award so far, which is very interesting. A few of his films have been nominated, but this is the only time that one of them has actually received an Academy Award. Um, When you think of Michael Mann, this is not one that a lot of people think of right away because this is not something you would think Michael Mann would direct because obviously it's set so far in the past. It's set during the French and Indian War in the 1700s. And Daniel Day-Lewis is in it. And, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, he gives a lot of badass performances, metaphorically speaking, maybe not so much literally. <laughs> um, but this is a really great turn from him. I mean, you never watch a movie with Daniel Day-Lewis and go, wow, he was bad in this. He so good in this. And another movie where the relationship is just so alluring and captivating. Madeline Stowe, if you just watch clips or look up images from this movie, you just watch it. And again, you're literally fanning yourself because of how beautiful both of these people are. And Daniel Day-Lewis has his shirt off occasionally in the movie, and he looks great. (laughs) I not go wrong. But this is a very strong allen from Michael Mann that I wish definitely got more recognition, and I do wish that I had rewatched it right pr- right before this. But again, we're all busy people. It's it's hard to get around to watching movies. I, if I could watch um, like multiple movies a day for the rest of my life, I would love to do that. <laughs> but Same. unfortunately, I won't be able to do that till I retire for another forty years. So sure. <laughs> I got I got four I got forty years to go. But yeah, The Last of the Mohegans is my number five. This I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm going to ask you anyway.
1: Are you going to pass, or is this not on your list? Ah, uh, so this movie is not on my list, and um, actually, I have not seen this film, so I don't mm. have a lot to add to the conversation. It was pretty high on my uh, watch list, like going into this into this episode, um, but like you mentioned, uh, busy lives, and uh, it just it just is not one that I got to. What I do think is interesting, of course, the Daniel Day-Lewis of everything is is um, really enticing for me. What I think is interesting from like a Michael Mann perspective is that he makes Thief, Thief in 1981. He goes on to make The Keep in 83 and Manhunter in 86. Then he basically takes six years off of like feature filmmaking. He makes some TV episodes. He makes a TV movie. And then he comes back with The Last of the Mohicans. Really different from storyline-wise and content-wise from what the three previous films were and then right after this he goes back to making heat. So I just think it's a really interesting kind of curveball in his filmography um that he may might have felt ready to do something else or or be interested in something else. Um I obviously don't know enough personally to like speak to why Michael Mann p- chose to um, make this movie but uh, it's really high on my watch list i've had it on my watch list for a very very long time um and i'm excited to, to get to it one day but not on my list as of now
0: yeah it's really good it's a very good ddl performance and out and i mean you know it's funny because i i re phantom thread recently i watch it every new year's eve of and course. um <laughs> every time i looked at images or stuff from this movie within the last week all i kept saying to myself is <laughs> I kept cloning Phantom Thread, just going, what exactly is the nature of my game?
1: <laughs> I can't follow you for that. <laughs> uh,
0: that's all Phantom, I've been thinking about. Phantom of.
1: Thread will will ruin you. It'll it'll haunt you for sure. It,
0: it it will always be there. It will never leave my mind. And um yeah. this is not a, unfortunately this is not a DDL podcast, so we cannot <laughs> talk about Phantom Thread. But Phantom Thread, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. So now transitioning okay. to our number fours, what is your pick?
1: Okay, number four for me. Um, I'm actually going back to the John, Jamie Fox. Well, I'm going to the other Jamie Fox performance. I'm going with Collateral. Collateral is one of the first Michael Mann movies that I saw, um, and I've rewatched it recently, and I I significantly bumped it up in my my rating, my ideas, my opinions. Um, for me, this is this is a four and a half star movie on Letterbox. I think Collateral is truly excellent michael man if not michael man operating on a on a highly efficient level with the narrative that's at play really between two people not more than that we're not dealing with a team of people we're not dealing with a singular entity we're dealing with just two people and their relationship to one another and their life one night in los angeles um of course tom cruise is in this movie as well flies to la basically has a hit list Jamie Foxx ends up being his taxi cab driver and finds him find, He finds himself enveloped in, in helping out Tom Cruise um, make these hits throughout the city um, so he can leave and go back home. I think this movie in particular is a really good segue to just briefly mention man's ability to breathe life into a setting and a, and a city um, and a time and so this taking place in LA at night um, is so core to the text and core to the vibe, really, of, of the movie and what it's achieving. Uh, there's tons of, of badass moments, really great soundtrack to this movie. Um, I'm not super high on kind of the final act, like shootout that we get um, that kind of takes place in, in the building there. Um, but I do love. The, the the ending, the ultimate fate of Tom Cruise's character, and it feels like a script that, that Michael Mann was able to take that cohesion from the very beginning of this idea of what L.A. is to somebody and bring that forth all the way through to the end of the film um, as it actually is a place like that where you can get lost. You can be lonely. You can find yourself dead both on the inside um, and on the outside physically. Uh, And I just want Tom Cruise. I want two things from Tom Cruise. When I watch this movie, it makes me want more silver haired Tom Cruise in just in movies in general. And it also makes me want kind of a villainous Tom Cruise in a film. I think this is really kind of, his only like villainous type role that he um, plays in kind of everything. Of, of course, you know, he's, he's become the, the face of movies and the box office and really the savior of cinema. So that turn s- seems impossible now that he's kind of put himself into this um, hole with his career. But I love his energy that he brings into this movie. And he is so cold and calculated. Um, kind of just, it kind of reminds me of Fincher's The Killer, where it's just like a guy at work and he fucks up and he's just trying to come good on it. Um And I, again, like that's what Michael Mann does best. I think collateral is phenomenal.
0: This is a pass for me. It's oh, higher on my list. Wow, I cannot nice. wait to talk about it. Ah. Uh, cannot wait to talk about this. So my number four is a film that I actually just watched hmm. one, two hours ago. I'm going to go with thief Michael Mann's directorial debut starring James Kahn in, A really wonderful turn from him. So, so good in this film. Um, This is a film that I definitely want to watch again. But I could say that on the first film, I was a fan of it. I really enjoyed this a lot. I love a good heist film. I love a good action film, thriller, Mm neo-noir. And what I really love about this movie is that... Whenever you watch a debut from a celebrated filmmaker, you like to see if they you could see some of their isms sprinkled throughout their debut to what made them well No, like their signature styles and what have you. And you could see a lot of that in Thief. Thief isn't in a film where you just like, where yes, it feels like a debut, but it doesn't feel like a debut to where you could tell it's a debut. right? If that makes sense, it feels like Michael Mann had made some films prior to this, but the fact that this was his first feature is really impressive to me. There's a lot of great shootouts in this film. There's a lot of go-chase sequences in this movie. There's a lot of intense sequences in this movie. I really love the aesthetic of it. There's a lot of shots that are lingering in my mind. A lot of colors that pop throughout. Especially at nighttime. My- Michael Mann and his nighttime photography is really next level. In anything that he puts out. But there's a particular shot. That- and again, I just saw this film two hours ago. The shot that has stuck out to me the most is a sequence where James Kahn's character, Frank, is walking towards that used car shop that he owns and everything, and mm-hmm. the neon lights are on, and then the lights are glowing and everything, and I'm like, God, and then you see the reflection on all the cars and everything, and the lot. Really impeccable stuff, and I really love the romance in this film, too, between him and his wife, played by Tuesday Weld, Uh, What a name, first of all, (laughs) what a name. Um, I really love their chemistry together. And I also love the supporting cast. When I saw Willie Nelson's name pop up in the cast list, I'm like, Willie Nelson, like the (laughs) saner. And then his sequence, I thought was really, really wonderful. But yeah, I loved this film. And it's one that I definitely could see myself appreciating a lot more on subsequent watches. I really was impressed by this and i really really adored james con's turn because i will admit that james con while he is an actor that i've respected for a long time i've admittedly not seen a lot with him i've only seen the godfather misery and elf i I was (laughs) hoping you put elf in there (laughs) of course of course of course i will admit that it was nice to see him play the lead in something and it's kind of sad that most of the films that he's done, he's always been like a secondary character or maybe the second lead. But the fact that this is the James Con show from start to finish, yeah. it really showcases this side of him that we pro- aren't really used to seeing from him. And yeah, I loved this film. I thought it was really, really wonderful. And I cannot wait to watch it again. That is my number four. Are you going to pass or is this not on your list?
1: Um, I'm going to pass. Nice,
0: okay. nice. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. So now going into our number threes, what is your pick?
1: Uh, my number three is Thief, Brian. Nice. Thief. <laughs> uh, um, so it's been a long while since I've seen Thief, and um, unfortunately ran out of time to rewatch it. But for the show, I really wanted to. I own the Criterion edition, so like I love this movie. You you obviously mentioned like the aesthetic of the film. It is so astounding that this is a directorial debut should be like illegal to be this cool on your mm-hmm. directorial debut. Um, Really the ultimate level of cool. And from the start, I think man is able to deem himself as this stylized person that sees things in this way and is able to capture that. Um, I, I, I think James Caan is truly mesmerizing in this movie. Um, The diner scene in particular is, is, is excellent. And, I think, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record every time I say this, but it it's just a guy trying to do his job. And then he, and then he falls in love and has to figure out what what he actually wants in life and, and what is safe and what is smart and what is the right way to go. Um, and he has to deal with, like, getting swindled by a bunch of assholes, basically, and and, and things not lining up for him. So I think it's really, really cool to see Michael Mann be able to pull this out in nineteen eighty one and and give James James Kahn like the role. I think it's really interesting um kind of in conversation with what we're seeing right now with Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer of like, oh we're not used to seeing him in in the lead role. Uh but guess what? When he is in the lead role he's quite astounding. And so uh, um I think this movie is really special in that um of course this kind of has the very um nihilistic lifestyle at the at the end of the film going to to blow up his car dealership blowing up his own home sending away his wife and his kid um and going for revenge and going for blood and it's it's really the ultimate form of necessary revenge and and the cost of that and what it means to him so i think the nuanced character study that aligns with the ultra cool violent um night cityscape is clearly identified in this film and that's what michael mann is able to use as a trajectory um thief is probably in the conversation i think for like top 10 director debuts of all time i don't i don't see why it wouldn't be um of course 2023 we had some pretty good ones i don't know if they'd be in the top 10 but like that would be an interesting you know conversation i think thief is definitely up there
0: absolutely i agree again echoing your statements of like it should be illegal for a directorial debut to be this badass it's insane (laughs) and it 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 works so well and it makes sense why it's been such a staple for Not only Michael Mann's career, but the genre as a whole and cinema, when you really think about it, especially when you look at directorial debuts from some of our all time great filmmakers. And going into my number three, I'm going to go with The Insider from 1999, which is probably his most successful film in terms of awards. Because this was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It's the only time Michael Mann has been nominated for Best Director. It got a screenplay nomination. And it also got an acting nomination for Russell Crowe. So basically, this is based on a true story. This is a biographical drama about a 60 minute segment regarding Jeffrey Wingan, who was a whistleblower in the tobacco industry and then covering his struggles with the producer of 60 Minutes, well, Bergman, who's played by Al Pacino, uh, Jeffrey Wygan is played by Russell Crowe. And I just have to say that these two giants of actors mm. collaborating with each other, showcasing some of the best work of both of their careers is really saying a lot. I mean, of course, at this point in his career, Al Pacino was a veteran. He had worked with Michael Mann already, and he had won an Academy Award, and he obviously had been in some of the most iconic films of all time. And Russell Crowe was definitely getting his start at this point. He was still fairly new to the scene. He had done some films prior to this, but I think this is the film that really made people pay attention to Russell Crowe and say, you know what, I need to keep an eye on this guy. And this was also a great time for him because between this and 2001, he was nominated for three Oscars. He won an Academy award for Mm -hmm. the year after the insider. And he almost, he was so close to win his second Academy award the following year. He could have been the next Tom Hanks where he won two best actor Oscars back to back, back, but things happen and you know, things happen. Life happens, but
1: Drake, you know, tough.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Um, but I love, love this movie. It's so riveting. It's so captivating. It's, very nail-biting it's on the edge of your seat it does exactly what a thriller does but i also love how it's a biographical drama at in disguise i really love the story i love following these characters and i love how both of them are very human you don't necessarily look at them as like oh they're just trying to get what they want and what have you they're both very human people and i'll be honest walking into this movie i i saw i hadn't watched this film in its entirety until last night at the time of this recording mm. and i had no idea the direction it was going to go i didn't really look into the story i didn't know if these people were still alive or these people died and what have you but i think michael mann and his co-writer the great eric roth beautifully yeah. handled everything and you know made it such a compelling film and very emotional at times, too. There were moments oh, yeah. where I was like, oh, I feel for these characters, especially Jeffrey. I'm not going to lie. There were moments where I'm like, I, I, I feel really sad for the guy. guy was getting
1: getting boned left and right.
0: Like, literally, I'm like, can this guy just catch a fucking break? Yeah. Like the, the way the movie literally starts with him getting fired from his job and then everything that goes on for the remaining two and a half hours of this movie. I'm like, my guy, <laughs> like, come on, man.
1: That's how you know it's a Michael Mann movie though. We're like I, halfway through the movie and you're like, "My guy." That's like, that's the ultimate Michael Mann effect right there.
0: Like you feel for everyone, even for the people that might be the de facto corrupt bad person.
1: <laughs> you feel for all
0: these people. I just love how Michael Mann paints all these characters and makes them human and you find a way of connected with them. And when I say That these two actors showcase some of the best work of their career. I legit believe that some of the best acting that both of them have ever done is in this film. Now, Russell Crowe, like I said, got a Best Actor nomination for this. And really thinking about this, I mean, the guys put out so many incredible performances. But there's a part of me, and I mean, my opinion could change tomorrow. There's a part of me that thinks this might be my favorite Russell Crowe performance now. Mm. It's tough to say because, I mean, I love Gladiator, and I I think it's cool he won an Oscar for that. A Beautiful Mind. Of course, I love that film too, but I don't know. There's just this side of Russell Crowe where he's so vulnerable and everything. He's not a very scary guy in this. I I feel like when you watch Russell Crowe in a lot of movies, he's very tough and everything, Mm -hmm. and he definitely comes off that way a little bit, but he's also... Just a regular dude. He's a family man. He loves his family more than anything in the world, which really struck a chord with me and made me have so much respect for him. But then you look at Al Pacino's character, Lol, and he's so focused on getting the stories out there and to tell the truth and everything. And there's that whole sequence where he's in the office and just saying that we're supposed to tell the truth and say you guys just want to hide the story from the public. And then, you know, him doing his typical outbursts and everything, which are always a delight to watch every single time he does them in any movie, good or bad. It doesn't really matter to me. But um, I really adored where this film went. There's an argument to be made by some people where they may think that this is his best movie. Um, I don't think it's his best movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's also obviously not my favorite thing that he's done, Mm -hmm. but I really adored it. And I will say when I was watching this, I almost gave it the five-star treatment. It was right there. It was so close. But I think on the second watch that's going to happen, I try not to give a lot of five stars on first watches for most movies. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Like, Mm -hmm. When I saw Oppenheimer and you we both love Oppenheimer so much. Oh yeah. Um, that was one of the few times where I'm like, Yep, five star first feeling. <laughs> sure. There's no no there's no question about it. But um I really love the swings that this story goes and I love the ensemble here too. Christopher Plummer, always a delight to watch him in anything. So good. Friggin' Michael Gambon in the five seconds he's on, I'm like, oh my God, it's Dumbledore. I got so giddy seeing him on screen. <laughs> Although his American accent, not my favorite, to be honest. His Kentucky <laughs> Southern drawl. I'm like, all right, really? Dumbledore, I'm like, Dumbledore, let's calm down with the Southern drawl, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, But no, I love the movie. And I also really want to commend the choice of music here, not just the score, but in terms of the songs here. I mean, we talked a little bit about this with Miami Vice of how Michael oh, Mann right. utilizes music and essentially makes it a character of its own but I really love the sequences with music here especially there's this one sequence where it, it's Jeffrey hit like an all-time low and he's just sitting in a hotel room and but then the you just you you, you 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 get that shot of him just looking at the painting And then all of a sudden, it like subtly transitions into him watching his kids playing the background, the backyard. And then in the background, um, Bergman's just like, oh, tell him to answer the fucking phone. (laughs) (laughs) And then the man just like incredible. I can't, I, and the man just like I can't tell him that. Yes, you can, <laughs> Mister Bergman is telling you to answer the fucking phone. And then he just grabs the phone, slams the door. Music abruptly cuts. Fucking remarkable yeah. stuff. Truly remarkable Jeez. stuff. Yeah, The Insider is incredible. This definitely is higher on your list. Am I right?
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's we're at number three, correct? I just want to be yeah. In the case. Okay, we're um, at number
0: three right now.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to have to pass.
0: <laughs> so now our top 2. I have okay. a feeling that this is one of the top
1: 2. <laughs>
0: so and I and I think I know what your number 1 is unless this is your number 1, which I'm very curious to see. So tell the li- so tell the listeners what your second favorite Michael Mann film of all time is. Uh
1: so, you know, very much like what what just went down. This is my number 2 as well. So, um the Insider, here's, here's the thing about The Insider is that I, it is, it is a five-star film for me. And I've only seen it once. And here's why. Because I, I knew nothing going into this movie. I didn't see a trailer. I didn't know that it was Pacino and Russell Crowe until I clicked buy on Apple TV. I didn't know shit about this film. Completely blind. And I was like, huh. Based on the Letterboxd ratings, that seems like a safe way to go as like a first time watch. In case it might make might crack my top five, I was looking for something to to get in there. I watched this on New Year's Eve, 2023. So instead of watching the Phantom Thread, I watched The Insider. I was home alone. My children were asleep. My wife was um staying staying the night at a, at a and back, bed and breakfast with a friend. So it was just me, just hanging out, being a dude, being a guy, watching Michael Mann. Make movies about dudes trying to do their jobs, and this movie finished, and I was just, I was so elated. It felt like a cathartic experience to, to discover and find what I think is is a Michael Mann masterpiece, um, mm-hmm. and to just get it. and and really I've I can only describe this feeling as like something that I get either from from Michael Mann or something as powerful as like, as like an Oppenheimer. It's very hard to find comparatives where you finish the film and you get up and you're just like that. We, we, we fucking did it. We made a movie that is so good and it's so elite and it's so smart and so well done. You just feel so vilified. And I think a lot of things you touched on about this movie. I, I totally agree with, especially that scene. I was going to bring that up. If you didn't, I think like this film was nominated for best editing. I I think that's probably why <laughs> like that scene. When that happened, I was just like, I was speechless and breathless. And I was like, only Michael Mann could do this and pull this off. Um, Really huge tinges of um, Network, the, the, the classic uh, movie in, in um, this film. Like you mentioned, you get, you get Pacino doing what he does best. Two more things that I think are really interesting that I wanted to touch on. He makes Heat in 95, and then he makes The Insider in 99. Both movies with Pacino as a lead. Both movies uh, feature Diane Venora as the love interest. Which uh-huh. I think is is fascinating from a man perspective. Um, second thing is that we we really get this fascinating all encompassing juxtaposition between Pacino's character Lowell, who who works um, at 60 Minutes and is trying to do his job and get these get these stories out, and then Russell Crowe's character of Jeffrey Weigand, and you get this great juxtaposition of these guys that find themselves on polar opposite sides of trying to do their jobs and how they're enabled to do their jobs from different perspectives of responsibility and power and um, authority and both of them figure it out somehow. Some way they, they get to where they need to go and they level the playing field and they're able to use each other to recalibrate basically the power dynamic that they feel in their lives. Um, And, and whether that is for, for better in, in Jeffrey Wigand's case of of coming up or for worse in Pacino's case of Lowell and realizing that um, he might not be the man that he thinks he is or how he has always thought of himself as Um, so many moments. I could just do a whole pot on the insider. And I'm just like, I'm, I tweeted this when, I watched this movie because I tweeted like, oh, I'm, I'm firing up the insider. Like, let's see what's going down. And then I quote tweeted and I was like, how the fuck did nobody tell me that a, just a five-star Michael Mann masterpiece is sitting out there? Nobody said anything to me. And so I, I'm using this as a as a public announcement platform. If you haven't seen the insider, please do so. You're, you're letting yourself slip. If you haven't seen the insider, it's just, it's so good, dude. It's so good
0: yeah it's 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 incredible it's it's so good and i'm trying to figure out who beat russell Crowe for best actor because i i really well, cannot stress enough how incredible that performance is so he lost to um he lost to kevin spacey for american beauty
1: oh well american beauty cleaned up that year dude i mean it you... did it did
0: yeah. best picture best director best original yeah. screenplay That's tough. and and in the Insider lost the adapted screenplay Oscar to The Cider House Rules. Oh. Wow, what a riveting film!
1: What a uh, what a bummer here. Come and on, dude.
0: look, and you want to know what was nominated alongside sided Election masterpiece, in my opinion. Okay. The green, the the oh, dude, so good. The <laughs> Green Mile near masterpiece, in my opinion. Okay. The Talented Rister Ripley near masterpiece, in my opinion. And the Sire House rules. I haven't seen it, but I'm sorry. There's no way that the Sire House rules yeah. is better than the four films that I just listed.
1: Here's the thing about Michael Mann in the Academy, and he is a notch up from this kind of com- comparison here. But like, he definitely, and I know I've referenced David Fincher once, but he definitely gives off the vibes of of a Fincher where it's just like the Academy just like doesn't get him. Pretty much, I agree. M- yeah, M- Mank, Mank, notwithstanding, of course, because that was that was Fincher's Oscar thing, but like Zodiac and um, this year, the killer for sure. Like the Academy just doesn't get it. And the insider was, you know, what Mank was to Fincher. The insider was to Michael Mann and basically saying the Academy saying like, okay, we'll, we'll give you a shot for these things. And then they goose egg um, and they, they, they don't win anything. And the Academy thinks it's justified in just like nominating them. And then, does nominate him for a couple of other things. Collateral picks up two nominations, but like let's be real um, kind of a thing like that. That's not Michael Mann's best work. And and um, there, I'm sure there's a lot of conversation that could be had around that. But I, I think it's interesting just to think about his career, his filmography, his relationship with the Academy losing to these types of films um, and his uh, really his ability to just be like, just gonna keep making cool shit um and yeah. i don't really care what happens right pretty cool
0: no i mean it is cool that it got nominated by the academy um i feel like obviously the fact that it got into an oscar 5 is is reassuring because it definitely would have mm-hmm. gone into an oscar 10 if the oh academy God, had yeah. 10 slots um in its respective year um but yeah it's it's interesting how He's had a few acting nominations, and none of them have won. I mean, Jamie Foxx got nominated for Collateral. Um, yeah. I'll be honest. Before going on, before I asked you to come on to this episode, like however long ago, I forgot that Michael Mann made Ali, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I- like Will Smith and John Voigt both got nominated for that, and wow. um, w- I- which is so bizarre. Love- um, but one day, one day, a Michael Mann film will win and act an Oscar, and maybe he'll win a direct an Oscar. Ferrari will, it, <laughs> <laughs> Ferrari will not be it, though. Ferrari will not be it, though. So that is not your number so, one
1: film, or is that what you're telling me
0: now? Uh, Spoiler word. it might be my number one. Tune in to find out. Um, but first, we have to get to my number two. Uh, so my number two is the film that is absolutely 100% your number one, I and it is the film that is every... Sacrilegious! <laughs> Look, I have my <laughs> reasons, and I have to explain. So, yes, this is what everyone unanimously puts as their number number two, if not their number one Michael Mann film, and that is, of course, Heat from 1995. Some of the best three hours of cinema that I have ever watched in my entire life. Don't let the four and a half fool you on Letterboxd. Do not let it fool you. This is a five star. Don't worry. I, I'm yeah, lazy. I'm, I'm too lazy to change it. I'll change it as soon as this recording's done. But um, what can you say about Heat that hasn't been said already? This is a favorite amongst the cinephiles around the globe. This is a favorite amongst the people who look at Michael Mann's films, and then of course the films of not only Al Pacino but of course Robert De Niro and the genre as a whole. It's really hard to articulate my thoughts on this movie because, again, there's been so much that has been said that – like, that has been – said. I mean, what can you add to the conversation that has been said already? So I've seen this film – prior to this week, I had watched the film so long ago, and I thought it was great, and I had been wanting to rewatch it for years, for years – And when I knew that we were doing this podcast, I'm like, well, now I finally get the chance to rewatch it. And I'm so glad I did because, again, this is a long movie. Does it feel long? Yes. Does it feel three hours long? Honestly, no, it does not. Mm. It feels like maybe two hours and ten minutes. Like, you, you can make an argument that... I know there's there's a discussion going on right now of like do all these movies need to be super long and everything? If it benefits the story, then let the filmmaker cook and make it as long as it needs to be without yeah. overburning it, without burning it, um, overcooking it. And to me, Michael Mann did not overcook this at all in the slightest. This is such a delicious film. It really is. I mean, the action sequences here are so fucking good they're so extraordinary the high sequence is next level the shootouts are wonderful especially towards the end of the film and i really love how a lot of it doesn't have music yeah like that's a very very cool thing because when you watch a shootout or a, a duel or whatever in a film there's always music underneath it but i think when there's no music added to it it adds way more intensity than you would imagine. And Pacino, again, knocks it out of the park. Of course, the, "Who? Oh, what are you, a fucking owl? And then him screaming, <laughs> what do you see with a great ass? Uh, <laughs> like him screaming from the top of his lungs, it's incredible. And then De Niro, of course, being very subtle and calm and subdued here, really loved the turn from him here. And even though I had seen the film before, just watching that whole sequence, another diner sequence, fiddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Mann and his diners. He loves he loves making scenes in diners. Um, Insane
1: diner sequence in this movie.
0: Really. It's one of the most iconic scenes probably in film history because you have these two acting legends who had made a film together prior, but this was the first time that they were acting together on screen. Mm-hmm. And just watching that, I cannot imagine what it was like, you know, being alive when this movie came out in the mid-90s and going to see this in theaters. And you're just like, wow, that's Al Pacino and Robert De Niro literally acting across from each other. Yeah. After 20 years since being in the Godfather Part 2 together, but not physically together. And you know, just seeing these sides of these characters was really, really exciting, too. Al Pacino playing a cop, and then Robert De Niro playing a criminal. And again, something I brought up earlier is that Michael Mann finds a way of humanizing these characters. You may not necessarily agree with what they're doing, but you still find a way of somewhat rooting for these characters. Like, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the character of Neil a lot. <laughs> I oh, thought yeah. he seemed. The I, I, rules, I, man. I I I would hang out with him. I would get a beer with him. I would absolutely do that. Oh I, yeah, like I I would love to just chill out with that dude and everything. And such a ladies man, my god, the power <laughs> of Robert De Niro, seriously. But um, and Pacino too. I mean, incredible stuff from him as well. Um, there's some moments in this movie that, you know other than it being incredibly thrilling, there are some moments that are heartbreaking and without spoiling it, just in case of anyone listening, hasn't seen this movie, there's a sequence involving a bathtub that is so incredibly difficult to watch.
1: Mm.
0: And again, I had seen the movie prior, but I kind of forgot about certain elements of this movie. So when that happened, it, it made my heart drop and just seeing that and everything. And Again, the power of Michael Mann able to make all these characters regardless of how big or small their screen time is make it feel earned is so impressive and this is a this is a dense movie it's it's fucking three hours long yeah. a lot is going on in this movie and it all feels earned in my opinion and the fact that this didn't get like any award nominations is really sickening in my opinion um and there's a reason why this has been regarded as one of the most influential films of the entire crime, heist, thriller genre. People talk about this movie like it's God's gift to cinema. And I don't really like whenever people talk about films like it's God's gift to cinema. Sure. But this is one of those cases where it makes sense why this is so heavily regarded as one of the best of its genre because of how influential it is. A lot of people really take a lot from Heat. A lot of people find Heat to be incredibly influential, and it is, and it's so masterfully done. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a sequel is supposedly in the works for this, and we'll talk about our anticipation for this Mm. later on in the episode. But I really adore Heat, and when I rewatched it a few days ago, I was so worried that... Even though I knew I was going to love it again, because I had loved it years ago when I saw it the first time, I was so worried that I was going to be that one guy who was like, man, he is so overrated. But thank God I'm not one of those people at all, because, I mean, it's a movie that is so hard to hate. Yes, it's lawn, and I know that, you know, sometimes lawn movies could be a turn off to some people. I love myself a good lawn film, but I also just love myself a good film, period. And this is not only a good film. It's a great film, and it's one of the best of its genre. It's one of Michael Mann's best. I would say that even though this isn't my favorite Michael Mann film, I would say this is the best thing that he's ever made. Um, You can make the argument of separating best and favorite, and even though I've only seen this film twice, um, it's definitely one that I want to watch over and over again, and it's one that I absolutely could watch over and over again, even though, again, it's a long, beefy film. Yeah. Incredible work all around from everybody involved, and that ensemble kicks so much ass. Shout out to Val Kilmer for delivering a kick-ass performance in this. I loved him so much in this, but yeah, Pacino and De Niro working together just really chef's kiss in my book. I love, love this film so, so much. And I know that everyone's going to hate me that this isn't my number one. But I just (laughs) want to say to everyone, be grateful that's my number two and not like my number five. Just be glad it's in (laughs) the top two. So, so, you know, I feel like you're going to add on a lot more to this. Hmm. And I kind of saw this coming. So tell the listeners why Heat is your favorite Michael Mann film of all time.
1: Well, here's the thing, Brian. I haven't been listening to a single word you've been saying because you're wasting my motherfucking time! <laughs> um, I'm happy that it's your number two and not your number five, quite honestly. So there's that. I love heat. Uh, obviously, I'll try not to go on too long because we could do we could do like a three-part heat series here and um, in, in, in pods. I have a tattoo of a juice box that says action on the juice box, um, a la the action is the juice. So... I love Heat. Um he, he to me is is like a like a truly a five-star masterpiece especially um and even outside of like the Michael Mann kind of realm of things I think this is where everything that that Michael Mann can and should do Melds kind of perfectly. Of course, you you mentioned um, the the diner scene between uh, De Niro and Pacino, and this really truly fascinating juxtaposition of like what's a normal life, fucking barbecues and baseball games, mm-hmm. and like what what is life to certain people, and what is a job, and what is um, a, a, a melding of who you are in your soul and in your core and what defines you as a person. Um, I think it's incredible that, that Pacino plays this role of, of Vincent Hanna. Um, and then goes on to play a very similar role in the insider, of course, based on a, on a, on a, um, real person, but like this, a uh, job identity crisis, essentially. Um, really incredible, incredible final 20 minutes of this film. Um, that, you know, is is the ultimate Leo meme of like, okay, I get it, I, I get why it's called heat. You got to be ready to to leave when you feel the heat around the corner. Um, and um, you know, it, in in the essence of what you did, I I won't spoil too much of the ending, but I I view it as as very um, kind of emotional and and romantic between these two guys that are just trying to do their jobs. Um, they. Are, are, are parasitic leeches to one another, and they cannot survive without the other, um, regardless of, of what they might think. Of course, um, I mentioned Diane Ver, Ver, uh, Venora being in The Insider as a love interest. She is um, Justine Hanna in this movie. I think he is really interesting for Vincent Hanna's like, own personal life, and I know things that did not make the cut of the movie that were initially in the script were kind of this this beefier, heavier, darker background to Vincent Hanna um, and his his drug abuse and his alcohol abuse and, like, his much more maligned lifestyle that found its way into his career. It seems like Pacino kept that energy, even though it didn't make it into this movie, and decided that was going to be the character, even though we weren't uh, informed of that. So, of course, I'm, I'm curious in, in the Heat 2 essence of things. Um, I think there's just so many moments of this film where, like I said, it it, it kind of all pieces together. And um, of course the action is the juice and and things like that that are just like, have been coined as like these huge cinematic phrases. Um, For me, uh, the last shout will just be the scene when essentially we get the big tonal shift from Pacino's character, Vincent Hanna, controlling the narrative um, to Macaulay controlling the narrative when Hannah and his police department are basically in the lot and they're like, oh, we 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 just got fucking made. They're watching us. Um and we get this incredible pan from Michael Mann up to De Niro on a water tower with binoculars, um, just smiling and laughing and just like loving what he's doing in his life. Uh you mentioned the bike the, the bank heist scene. I could go on and on about about heat, but in my opinion it is like undeniably the The best, most impressive, most cohesive, most nuanced and deep character study that Michael Mann has ever put on screen, and like i I didn't even mention you know Kilmer's character, shahurlis and like his gambling addiction and what that what that does to his family and what we get at the end with with him and and Charlene and really incredible sequences all around um he just Heat is the fucking juice, man. It's just speechless talking about it. It,
0: it. it I mean, again, what can be said about it that hasn't been said already? It's just right. hard to articulate thoughts on that genius piece of filmmaking. And again, it's just insane how that didn't get like any awards love. And you know what? So what? You know what? The film doesn't need awards. It has love from all of us. Exactly. Um, it's, it's really incredible. And you agree, right? With some of the smoothest three hours ever put to screen.
1: Yeah. does not I, feel I, like
0: three hours at all.
1: No, not at all. And I think this is where man again, takes the soundtrack, takes the, the scene and the setting of LA and makes them their own care, own very pivotal characters that influence yeah. a lot of what is happening to our true human characters around us. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, it makes a fly by.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So my number one is Ferrari. I'm just kidding. Wow. It's not Ferrari. Oh my God. I, I was like kidding.
1: shocked.
0: <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now my number I'm one is a film that I haven't that... seen. <laughs> my number one is a film that I passed on and that's collateral. You brought that number four and it is my okay. number one collateral is one of my all time favorite films. I have seen this film dozens of times um back in 2013 where I really started watching a lot of movies like that's pretty much the year where I really started watching like everything I was recommended collateral by my dad because he knows how much I like Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx so naturally of course like a movie with the two of them sure I'll watch and a lot of you, what you said, I'm not going to repeat, but I will echo some of those statements. Tom Cruise with the silver hair, he still looks good, and it's just unfair. <laughs> it's so unfair. So crazy. Um, have Tom Cruise play more villains, I agree. Um, that definitely needs to happen more. I guess the closest that we've gone to him playing a villain besides this is Tropic Thunder,
1: maybe? Yeah, that's fair.
0: You know, little, like that.
1: Little, yeah, Les, Les Grossman. Grossman. Yeah, you can't go
0: wrong with Les Grossman. Um, and Jamie Fox. Um, I really think that this might be my favorite performance from him. I really love how um understated he is, and you know, the the entire movie, you don't look at him as just the cab driver that's stuck in this situation. A very pivotal thing mentioned throughout the movie is that he is someone with dreams he does not want to be driving cabs in los angeles for the rest of his life he wants to start his own uh company his own limo business and he wants to pursue that further and everything um but then he drives this this hitman around Mm -hmm. and everything and He's scared that he's not going to make it until the sun rises. He's worried that by the time the sun rises, he will no longer be alive. Yeah. And this is such a thrilling ride from start to finish. Literally a thrilling ride from start to finish. The moment that we're introduced to Vincent, which is literally the first scene of the movie, which, by the way, (laughs) shout out to get
1: in that cab, which is insane.
0: I know. I know. First of all, such
1: a smart play.
0: First of all, shout out to that awesome open and see where he's just walking through the airport with his sunglasses. Anytime I see a man so cool. walking through, anytime I see a person with sunglasses on when they're inside, I think of two characters. One is Kendall Roy. And the other one is Vincent from collateral. Those are the only it. two that I think of right away. Um, you know is it bad is it funny for me to say that this is the best movie even though he's only in it for two seconds the best movie that jason statham has ever been oh god
1: <laughs> i forgot he was in this movie and he shows up and i was just like oh he's he the one he's the one who he thing?
0: hands the briefcase to yeah. in the beginning <laughs> so, weird.
1: Um,
0: so bizarre um but no i love the two performances from these guys i think they're some of the best of their entire career uh, this is my favorite jamie fox performance and um I wouldn't this isn't my favorite Tom Cruise performance but it's right up there with some of my favorite work that he's done. Um I mean he is very terrifying in this. Which is so strange to say about Tom Cruise in movies because you know usually you're rooting for Tom Cruise. You never go, "Oh, he's scary and intimidating and terrifying." But this time he's like genuinely like on the edge of your seat and the sequences where he's on his killing sprees, but then there's the sequence where he chases um max jamie fox's character outside the hospital and there's that oh, great yeah. sequence where he's doing you know the tom cruise running everything just running that's, down the stairs i'm just like bro that
1: that's like, that's the pinnacle michael man just two dudes trying to work scene because I, tom cruise tackles jamie fox and he's like stop getting in the way of my job he, he literally, literally says he,
0: that he literally says you're screwing with my work
1: exactly <laughs> like that's literally what he says
0: to him and there's so many sequences where you think that it's just going to be calm and laid back and relaxing a sequence that I think of right away is when he goes to that jazz club. Oh yeah. And he talks to that guy and then you can just see, I love how the camera just stays on the jazz players face. Like as soon as it's revealed, like what Vincent is talking about, how he just goes from smiling to literally like being like terrified Mm -hmm. like that. And Again, the camera just, like, knows when to cut back and forth and everything. There's these great reaction shots on Max and everything just sitting in the middle of all this. Um, And then, of course, the nightclub sequence. One of Michael Mann's best scenes of all time. Yeah. Uh, fantastic brawl. Equivalent to, for a long time, this was my favorite nightclub sequence in a film. And I would say that this was the best one that I had seen. Until... 10 years later when the first John Wick came out. I was
1: going to say, it's a John Wick.
0: <laughs> like, until John game. Wick came out. Like, I I thought of that right away. Um, but, yeah, the action set pieces here are incredible. The performances are fantastic. Uh, shout out to a few supporting players. Mark Ruffalo playing the cop. We have Jay Pickett-Smith oh, as the lo- possible love interest to Jamie Foxx. We have all the other characters that we meet Javier Bardem. We have Peter Berg in a role, which is very, very strange seeing him, Mm -hmm. you know, not direct and everything. Um, And the songs here now, obviously, this being my number one, it's my favorite thing that Michael Mann has done. Whenever people ask me about my favorite usages of song in film. And this is going to be so cliche, but this is, I think, the scene that everyone talks about when it comes to the music of this movie. When they're driving and they see those coyotes and then friggin so friggin Auto Slave starts playing. And I Dude, what is up
1: with Michael Mann and Audio Slave? Like, he's I, just he's he's obsessed.
0: I, I will tell you that at this point, at the point when I had seen this movie for the first time, obviously, Chris Cornell was still with us and everything and those that man's vocals were just something else. He was mm-hmm. he was really something else. Um, I was very sad when we lost him a few years ago. Um And when he had passed away, the first thing I thought of was this scene from Collateral. And the reason why I think about the scene so much is because like it's before the big nightclub sequence, but it's just a moment where like you get this tender moment between the two characters. Like, he stops the cab, he sees the coyotes, and then you just – you get this really long shot on Vincent where you know that there's something in him. There's some human side of him. Like, it's so deeply buried in him, and there's that incredible monologue towards the end of the movie where he says – Someday my dream will come, and I'm not gonna lie, I got very emotional because it's just like you know, we're all still chasing our dreams. You know, we could be in our teens or we could be in our 60s, and we're still looking for our dream. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a very universal thing, and I really love how that's a pivotal element to this story. You don't really think about that, you think of this movie as just a a throw where a hitman takes hostage of a cab driver and forces him to drive around to uh, go on his killing spree. But it's so much deeper than that. These are two very lost people. These are two very lonely people one way or the other. I mean, one of them is lonely because he likes to be lonely and the other one's lonely, not necessarily by choice. And I really love how these two guys, even though it was this one chaotic, crazy batshit night, I think they kind of needed to find each other in th- mm. this particular time of their lives. I, I th- This film is just so much deeper than it has any right to be. It's a fucking thriller about a hitman taking a cab driver hostage and forcing him to drive him around. But it's much more than that it's a really beautiful film and I'm getting emotional to talk about freaking collateral of all movies. <laughs> um, but I mean, again, the power of Michael Mann and just his storytelling. I really adored the film and I was looking up some fun facts a while back about this movie. So at one point, Michael Mann was actually not even supposed to direct this movie. This was actually at one point scheduled to be the directorial debut of Steven Spielberg's cinematographer, Hansu Kaminsky, which would have been very, very interesting to see that. Um, yeah. the writer of this film, Stor Beatty, he got the idea of this when he was taking a cab from the Cindy airport. Not sure how he came up with the idea of someone being taken hostage, but Sick. hey, all power to him. <laughs> and at one point before Michael Mann, Tom Cruise, and Jamie Fox joined this film, the two people that were actually possibly lined up to play these characters, Russell Crowe was supposed to play Vincent, and oh. this cast is the one that introduced that interests me the most, that makes me curious. You brought up before a particular film starring this actor, and you talked about how this is one of your favorite films of all time, and you actually have him – Right behind you on your wall, (laughs) uh, Adam Sandler was actually in talks to play Max. This was right after Punch on Glove had come out, and all these filmmakers wanted to work with Sandler and do serious things. I cannot imagine Russell Crowe and Russell Crowe as Vincent. I could kind of see that, I could see that. Um, Uh, and Adam Sandler as Max, not sure if I could see that. And I love the Sandman, of course. Um, it would have been very cool to see Russell Crowe and Adam Sandler, that would have been quite the pairing. I do think about, like, uh, imagine if it were Tom Cruise and Adam Sandler. That would have been, like, under Michael Mann's direction, that would have been, like, sick. That would
1: have been interesting, yeah.
0: But I think Jamie Foxx was perfect as Max. And the fact that this was a year where he got two Oscar nominations and won an Academy Award, too, that's so exciting. And Tom Cruise, it would have been nice if he found a way to slide into that after five. And that was a stat fucking year to the point okay. where paul giamatti missed for sideways um jim carrey missed for eternal sunshine yeah and tom cruise missed for collateral and i know that when you talk about performances maybe tom cruise's performance in collateral isn't the one to talk about i mean jamie fox really is amazing but there's so much credit that should be given to tom's performance as well yeah it's again it's a different side of him that we hadn't seen from him we only pictured him as like the heroic badass cool guy but instead he played this very fill this guy that is so unlikable and so terrifying to be around mm-hmm. that even still there's a human side to him which i really loved so yeah i adore collateral it's my favorite michael mann film it's one of my favorite films of all time I've seen it countless amounts of times. I will not stop loving it. One of my favorite things ever as a film fan was when I was in high school and I had a film class my junior year, and we each got to pick a film that we wanted to talk about for our final. And I chose Collateral because I didn't right. want to pick a cliched answer. So I'm like, nobody in here has watched Collateral. So when I was yeah. playing clips from the movie and that sequence where, you know, he throws his briefcase onto the L.A. freeway, yeah everyone's like oh shit like i just heard even the even even my teacher who hadn't seen collateral she was like oh my god like i could just hear her mother and cuss words under her mouth and i'm like this is the reaction that i've always wanted (laughs) um but yeah collateral is my number one to me that that's a masterpiece um i really love it i i will say though when i first saw the movie i wasn't very high on the way that this film wrapped up I liked the ending, but I wasn't as high on it as I was with everything else leaning up to it. Mm. But on subsequent viewings, my appreciation for the ending really grew. And every time, every single time I go into New York and I ride the subway and I'm oh, just waiting for man. a subway, I always get worried there's going to be someone running and Tom Cruise is just going to jump across the platforms. I just get worried that that's going <laughs> to happen. But yeah, I love, I love Collateral. It's my number one Michael Mann film of all time
1: i i really only have one thing to add that i think is interesting to think about in the context of when we are recording this pod um and kind of the the cinematic year that 2023 was you, you talk about um legends like michael mann um martin scorsese hayao miyazaki these guys coming out with films that very well could be among their last if not their their singular last films mm-hmm. um guys that are getting to be 80 and 84 and 86 years old um and these artists who are thinking about time and stories and legacies and doing their jobs and 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 seeing what what does that really mean how, how can i do that how can i do that better am i the right person to do that with certain things and the only reason i bring this up is because every time I watch collateral now with the cinematic year that 2023 and that narrative that it has brought, when you get to that monologue at the end with Vincent basically telling Max, like you've been doing, you've been driving a cab a really fucking long time. Like, why are you not doing something? What is it? What is stopping you? What is holding you up? What is your life? Um, Michael Mann made this, made this movie in, 2004 i think he was like 61 years old he's 80 now and ferrari does the same thing where it kind of ends with this very deep provoking provoking idea of like what does it all mean what is a legacy what what is a name and even at 61 in an in an action thriller specific film he's able to work in these ideas and elements of like what is that would what how how am i telling stories am i telling the right stories what is my job what is my life what is my legacy am i a hitman because i i've i've made almost every single movie at a different studio now um am i telling the right things am i doing all of these um things that are are worthy of thinking about and um and kind of parsing out through life so i I am so happy that collateral is your number one. I'm so disappointed it's not he, and i I think it's so interesting <laughs> to think about collateral in the context, and especially like Michael Mann, in the context of like this great director is eighty now, and he's been thinking about his legacy for a really long time. um but yeah, collateral rocks, dude
0: it it really does it's it's just so slick, and I cannot believe that it's twenty years old Crazy. i cannot I cannot believe that this movie's twenty years old. It makes me sad because it's like oh my god a lot of my favorite films of all time are are turned 20 this year. Yeah. Sideways Eternal Sunshine um Garden State the the one that hurts the most Ethan is the fucking SpongeBob movie. The fact that that's 20 wow. years old now, I just like what the fuck. Brutal. I Brutal. I can't. I hate I hate getting older. I fucking hate it. I hate it.
1: I'm with, it. You. I'm with <laughs> you, man. I had therapy this afternoon and that was it. I was like I'm I'm getting old. What do I do? I,
0: I hate it. <laughs> so bad um before this gets into a existential crisis podcast recording uh let's recap our list from five to one so
1: ethan what is your list uh all right so my list kicks off with miami vice at number five number four is collateral number three is thief number two the insider and number one heat unequivocal number one
0: (laughs) and to recap my list coming number five is the last of the mohegans number four is thief number three the insider number two heat and number one the true number one because it's my show (laughs) and i run all the rules and i make all the rules collateral
1: (laughs) i mean we had four of five on our list i know mixed mixed and match the, the
0: the only film that we didn't have in common was our number fives which is crazy.
1: Oh yeah. It's kind of wild.
0: That's just, it just comes to show Michael Mann's catalog. And, you know, talk about some of the films that didn't make the cut. What are some of the films that you want to give a shout out to? Obviously Michael Mann's filmography is not that big, Mm -hmm. but give your thoughts on his other films. I know you said that you hadn't seen some of his movies, but talk about the ones that you had seen that didn't crack your list.
1: Um, yeah, so I haven't seen a lot of the newer things. I did watch Black Hat and I think Black Hat is bad. It is not a good film. Um, so it's, it's, it's
0: it's, it's really bad.
1: (laughs) That's my thoughts on that. Um, not necessarily like not even the fact that it's like a bad movie. It's just like Chris Hemsworth sounding bad for two hours. Um, Mm. so there's that. That is my last place right now on my list and then I only have one more spot cuz I've only I've only seen 7 Michael Mann movies which is crazy because um instead of watching new Michael Mann movies I just fucking rewatch Heat. and that's my problem. <laughs> I don't um, blame you. <laughs> number number 6 is Ferrari. I think Ferrari is good. I don't think it's great. I think it's interesting and um thought provoking and has bad VFX and a pretty um weird pace. And falls into this really niche group of Adam Driver playing an Italian who is trying to maintain a worldwide conglomerate company and bangs his really hot partner on a table. Um, So, like, shout out Adam Driver for doing that in two separate movies. Um, Also, shout out House of Gucci for being the other movie and being far better than Ferrari, in my opinion. Um, But, yeah, that's – I mean, that's that. That's my whole – that's, like, my my seven. My seven-man movies. I was a little disappointed by Ferrari, but you know, that's okay. Michael Man's 80. What are you going to do? Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Black has not very good. I'm sorry <laughs> to the black Hat fans that there are any fans of, of that movie out there. Um,
1: I don't think so. I, I think we can all collectively there, agree. There, there's us. gotta be, there's
0: gotta be at least one. <laughs> there's definitely, one. there's definitely at least one. Um, th- what else is there? So Ollie, I've only seen parts of, um, and I will say that from the parts of it that I have seen, Will Smith crushes it in that role. Like, oh, he is, he's really fucking good in that role. And he looks exactly like Muhammad Ali. It's pretty uncanny how, mm. like, the transformation that he brings to that is really insane. Um, of course, Miami Vice, we talked about that. That didn't make yeah. my list. Uh, Public Enemies is actually really solid and very underappreciated. I feel like huh. a lot of people don't talk about that. I think that pushing aside everything that that's going on in this guy's personal life I do think it is one of the better performances from uh, Johnny Depp where you know he's playing a normal character Um, and he he is actually really good in this I I, I have to say when Johnny Depp is given a good script and works with a really good director you could get a really good performance out of him and he is Mm -hmm. really quite good in this and I love Christian Bale in it as well as uh, marion culty art um it's definitely not a michael mann film you hear a lot of people talk about even when it came out a lot of people weren't really talking about it um and it's said during the great depression it kind of feels a little bit like michael mann's version and it's not exactly like it but when i look at images or clips or whatever i kind of think of it as like michael mann's peaky blinders which is kind of cool oh okay um when you really think about that and uh and then ferrari um it would not be an honorable mention for me it would be a dishonorable mention for me <laughs> i i didn't i didn't really like ferrari um there were parts of it that i found to be really exciting and riveting i liked oh, no. Ad, i liked adam driver in it i thought he was good at pushing aside the accent work but let's be honest though his accent work was not even the worst in the movie Oh, dude! Uh, Penel oh. K- kicked ass. I thought she, she rocked in the movie. She was
1: the best part of the film. <laughs>
0: I thought she she understood the assignment and she kicked so much ass. She was she's always good. She's always fun to yeah. watch. Um, some of the racing sequences are so impressive to watch because again, you're like an eighty year old directed this and it's really impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Dempsey has no right looking that great with that <laughs> hair color like I you...
1: I was like so cold on him being named the sexiest man alive in 2023 and then I saw Ferrari and I was like oh I get it now. We no, it. it literally <laughs> makes sense.
0: I think when I saw the film at the New York Film Festival it was like not even that long after it was announced that he was the sexiest man of the year. Yeah. And I'm like yeah, it makes sense. Now it all makes sense. Oh, yeah. But um the important thing to note about this movie everyone's like stop casting Adam drivers Italians. I would rather take five more movies with him as an Italian than have to watch Shane. We do a terrible accent again.
1: Wow. Yeah. We got to, someone's got to help Michael Mann his casting decisions moving forward. Um, it's, it's like, it sounds like he too is shaping up with good casting decisions. Speaking of Adam driver, but like, yeah, we, we, we could have recast some people in front That's We sure. really,
0: we really could have. And without spoiling anything, regarding this particular scene, even though this is based on true story, of course. Um, how did you feel about that final car crash sequence? Because I'll be honest, when I saw the movie, I had no idea that was gonna happen because I haven't really no. looked into the story and it definitely caught me off guard in the moment. I was like, oh shit. But then yeah. thinking back on it, I'm like, wow, this was really bad.
1: Um yeah, I had no clue it was coming. I, I was shocked. Um I was really, really astounded. I think the VFX was quite poor. Yeah. um in that scene and pretty rough but i think um i think it worked i think it was effective for the movie um i still like it as a scene i th- I think it's good and i think it is obviously core text to like this theme and idea of like legacy with ferrari and what that meant to him and what that means and, and things like that um so yeah I, I think it's i think it's fine
0: right definitely and then to talk about upcoming tales. now, this isn't confirmed, but he has stated that his next film is going to be a sequel slash prequel yes. to Heat. We did it. And, and Adam Driver is supposedly going Neo to be it. And you know what? I'm all for it.
1: So in. I'm so in, dude. I So I own Heat 2. It's been a book, so... If you hear this or if you've seen the news or whatever and you're like, "Heat 2, that Heat doesn't need a sequel prequel." Come on, people. Um Michael Mann wrote Heat 2 like 10 years ago. It's 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 been in existence. Um it's a book, it's a novel. The book itself is a prequel and a sequel. I believe it is focused on Shaherlis and like his um perspective and point of view. Of course, uh Val Kilmer unable to like fulfill that role now if that were to be the thing of you know the the easter egg culture that we're living in if michael mann were to succumb to something like that um i don't know maybe he top gun mavericks it who knows anything's possible but i think he too sounds fucking incredible i can't wait to read the book of course now that now that the movie is going to be coming out and i think adam driver is a million percent the right person for that role um the height aspects got me a little worried because like De Niro, not that tall. Um, driver, quite lengthy fellow. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm feeling excited. Supposed to start shooting this summer, summer 2024. I don't know. Maybe it comes out in 2026, and we just, we can pot about it then. Who knows? <laughs> yeah,
0: I am very curious to see how this pans out. I have not read the book myself. I'm not much of a reader, so you're not going to catch me reading this book. <laughs> but... <laughs> um. I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued. I can't say I'm excited for it um because Michael Mann's most recent film kind of let me down. Again, he has more hits than misses um but
1: Heat is his baby though. Like it, he gets Heat. He made it, Heat. It is. It Ferrari.
0: It is. It is. You know, if someone were to ask me right now, am I more excited for Gladiator 2 or Heat 2? I'm going to say Heat 2, probably. I'm, I'm going to say Heat 2. Are you going to
1: swerve on me on that answer? Well, wow. I,
0: well, to be fair, I mean, Gladiator 2 has Paul Moscow and Pedro True. Pascal True. <laughs> and Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah. um, but... You know this has Adam Driver, so it kind of automatically takes the lead all the way. So, um, but also Heat's a better film than Gladiator, and you're talking to a big fan of Gladiator. But yeah, I'm very excited for Heat too. Whenever Michael Mann has that coming out, and I also love that he's dabbled in television work these last few years. He's directed a few episodes of television. Yeah. Um, his yeah. most recent television, and he's directed the show called Tokyo Vice on Max. Yeah, I heard which I which I have not watched, but I've heard pretty good things about it. Um, although I don't want to watch because of who's the lead in it, unfortunately. But okay. um, yeah, you know, all subjective, of course. But um, yeah, Michael Mann, uh, what a man! I can't believe we went through this whole episode without saying, Michael Mann, what a man! Um, <laughs> we suck. Like, seriously, I mean, what a guy, like truly a excellent filmmaker. And even though he hasn't made a lot of films, the impact that he's had on the industry is there. And when he says to the public eye that he is not making films anymore, it's going to be a sad day because he's given us some of the greatest films, not only of their respective genres, but possible great greatest of all time. And. His voice is so singular, and it's unlike anyone else that we've ever gotten. And I love the guy. I really do. Talking to you about him tonight made me appreciate him a lot more than I thought I did. So yeah. I'm really glad that we had this discussion. But what are your final thoughts on Michael Mann before we close out this episode?
1: I mean, yeah, I think I think you said it quite well. I think Michael Mann is, is quite singular and... Um ingenious and in the things that he does do. He has far more hits than misses. Um even though he, he does have his misses. Um I I just I commend him for like just making cool shit. Like just quite honestly. Um and I'm very excited for if Heat Two is next or whatever the next film might be. Um and, you know, like you said, I, I one of those directors where it's just like, I I hope he just never stops making movies. I don't care if I get a Ferrari every three or four years, I'll take that over like just never getting a Michael Mann movie again, because I think nobody has quite figured out how to do it the way Michael Mann does it. And I'm fascinated to see what comes next. Like what is that next generation? Who is that next generation filmmaker? That's going to fill that niche hole, um, that, michael mann is currently occupying a, a very large space of um so yeah i don't know thanks for having me on the pod dude and getting to talk about heat i can't ask for more that's impressive
0: <laughs> hey man thank you so much for coming on i had a blast getting to have you on the podcast finally and oh, you yeah. being the first guest that i had on this year all just all around so exciting so thanks again for coming on ethan i really had a blast talking with you tonight and i would love for you to tell the listeners where they could find you online where could they find you at work
1: Yeah, I am uh, at Ethan Simi on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm also at Ethan Simi on Letterboxd. Uh, You can follow me there and see me really try hard to have funny, quippy reviews um, that just ultimately don't (laughs) land for pretty much uh, anybody. Um, I'm writing for uh, Agents of Fandom currently. You can find my my writings and my reviews um, there. And then I am the co-host of 24 Minutes of A24, as well as the movie draft podcast that is premiering on January 16th. Both of those are going to be on Spotify, Apple podcasts, um, wherever you get your shows. Um, And uh, yeah, if you like movies, I I highly suggest you tune into those. Um, Give me a follow. And I don't know listen to me quote heat more probably on my other shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will put links for all that in the description below. Definitely go check out Ethan's work and go follow those podcasts for sure. Just do yourself a favor and go check them out. They're really great stuff. Seriously. Like uh, 24 minutes of a 24. I I'm not just saying this because I was on it and <laughs> because you're here, but I love that show and I'm so excited Thank for you. the movie draft pod. I cannot wait to see how that pans out when it comes. out. I'm so, so excited. So, Follow Ethan's work, link in the description below, everywhere. And you guys can follow me on all socials at Brian Suffield. You guys can subscribe to the show on any podcast platform. Rating reviews, share it around. We have a Twitter and Instagram so you guys can stay up to date with what's going on with film fragments. Let us know your favorite Michael Mann films. I'm very
1: here, curious to hear your guys' list. Better better fucking be heat. Or don't try in at all. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. Don't, don't listen to the guests. <laughs> it's all about me. Listen to what I have to say. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I uh, know. Uh, let us know your favorites. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned for more great content coming your way within the next couple of weeks. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.